Thanks, Rory. Thanks, team. I don't hate my name, Steve Vetito. Honest. That, that, that's, I don't hate that name. So that was given to be my, my mom and dad. So uh, maybe the title is something that I don't run around with. But uh, I'm one of the uh, life group leaders here at uh, Community of Grace and uh, just uh, filling in for Joel today as he's up uh, taking some relaxed time. So pray for him as he's uh, traveling back. Pray that he gets here safely, that he has great pictures and stories for us. So uh, inside your uh, worship guide today, there's just, a, again, a brief outline. I uh, would ask you all to take it out and fill in the blanks as uh, God deems fit today. Uh, they'll be up on the uh, screen, so hopefully if I forget any, uh, you all will still be able to fill in the blank on the back is uh, just the passage that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Pastor Joel is in... Uh, is in a series on parables, and uh, I decided just to kind of continue on with that theme, uh, knowing what he's going to do next week. Uh, this is not the one that he was planning on uh, preaching next week, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can uh, turn over there, and we're just going to kind of plug along and go through the, uh, the text. Uh, this is, um, again, a, an an honor for me just to be able to come and uh, bring God's Word in my home church. Uh, my wife and I and family uh, joined uh, the church about uh, 17 plus years ago, and uh, God has just uh, brought a lot of you folks into our life, and uh, some folks have uh, kind of passed through and gone to other places, but I, I appreciate the opportunity just to come and to to share Jesus Christ with you in his word today. Um, this parable, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement that uh, I believe with all my heart is true. Parables are never the main point that what Jesus is trying to get across. Parables are merely an illustration of something that Jesus is talking about discussing and then he uses the parable as the great illustration to drive home the point or principle that is given. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look there in chapter 18. Just a couple verses before verse 23. And Peter makes the statement of, got a question, got, got, got a question here. Um, since, since you've been talking about forgiveness and if you go back and look at you know if it, it, the verses right before that if uh, you find a brother has offended you go to that brother so Peter's raising the question okay so how many times when I come across someone who offends and hurts me my, my translation how many times is it required of me to forgive them and Peter, being the magnanimous person that he was, he asked the question seven times. So if somebody offends me, do I go to them seven times and relate this idea of I forgive you? And Peter, again, thought he was being hugely gracious, magnanimous. Uh, matter of fact, for him, uh, Peter was asking, how often must I exhibit 
this sweet reasonableness of forgiveness? Yeah, it's a valid question. And Jesus immediately responds, well, Peter, I wouldn't wouldn't say seven times, but I would say 70 times seven is how many times you need to forgive somebody. 490 times. The two numbers, seven and ten, put together, those are kind of the perfect numbers in Scripture, and Jesus lumps them together and then multiplies them by Peter's seven. And it's not so much the number that's important. It's the the absurdity of forgiving somebody 490 times when they offend me. Because again, you know, we, we look at Peter... He's the guy in the garden... That when they were offended, he pulls the sword out and tries to kill one of the the soldiers that's there. So, I mean, this this is that Peter. So, the idea of forgiving somebody seven times was a big deal. But Jesus comes back and says, no, no, it's not. It's not seven. It's 490 times. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? So, just between you and us, and nobody else is here, and there's times I have a hard time forgiving once. Now, that's me. I know you all are not there. You all are highly spiritual. You all are in Peter's category of you all are good with seven, but after that, oh, it's on. You know, oh, oh, I've done seven. Oh, it's on now. But there's times that when, it's hard to forgive one time. So, so Jesus says, oh, okay, Peter, let, let me illustrate this with you. With this little phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now that's a very common statement that Jesus makes in in these parables that he gives. The kingdom of heaven is like it. It's like a mustard seed. It's like it's like a you know a a small tree that I mean it he he constantly uses this little phrase. And the idea again it's one thing to be associated with the kingdom of God. As a Christ follower, I'm associated with the kingdom of God. It's something totally different to be a liver of the kingdom of God. And that's where Jesus is is now moving in this text. Okay, I've given you the point of, no, it's not seven, it's 490. But, But let me illustrate that in this story. So with with that little background, I'm gonna ask you all to again look at the back of your insert is the text there. If you all would stand in honor of God's word as I read this. This comes out of the English Standard Version. It's up on the screen too, I believe, if you don't have an insert. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one servant was brought to him 
who owed him 10,000 talents. I'll explain that in a second. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife to be sold, his children to be sold, and all that he had to be sold, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring the king, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the 10,000 talent debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who'd owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he, the servant, refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his other fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him, the first servant, and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have the mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, I pray that uh, as we explore your word today, that you would pierce. Father, that you would go deep in our heart. And Father, transform us to exhibit your kingdom to those around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. So again, Joel has been uh, telling us that these are very common stories. And there's some, that for us in our culture, there's some fairly uncommon things that go on in the story. But for the culture of the day, it was, it was very common. Uh, the first thing is this idea when you owed somebody, uh, there was a provision in the law that you could be ordered to jail and you had to work off your debt until you were debt free and you could be, re be released. Now, Obviously, the debt couldn't be huge because you couldn't work enough in prison to earn the money. It's just like our prison system today. I, I don't know what the going wage is today for the work that they do in our prison system, but it's, you know, it's dollars. It's, you know, I mean, it's minuscule, and there, there's really no way for them to build up tens of thousands of dollars to be able to to pay debt. They're, they're there to serve time. Now, the other interesting thing in the culture, the first servant was going to be sold. And not only he was going to be sold, but his wife was going to be sold and his kids were going to be sold. So they were going to be moved from the master's ownership and he was going to sell them to somebody else 
And that money, although it wasn't going to be an enormous amount of money, that money was going to be used to pay the debt, but that servant then would be the, the slave of somebody else. Now again, in our culture today, we, you know, we're kind of aghast at that. Um, again, a different culture, a different year, a different time set. Again, the idea is that you had to pay your debts. Now, to explain a little bit of the debts, I need you to look at the, at the talent issue in the, the first. The, the first servant, it says, owed him 10,000 talents. Now, as a comparison, a talent, one talent, could be stored up and could be accumulated for working 1,000 weeks. 52 weeks in a year. About 20 years to accumulate one talent of money. This man had apparently... And again, we, we see the term here, slave or servant. He apparently was fairly high up in the kingdom to the point that he had access to money and he had extorted the money, stolen the money, embezzled the money from his king to the tune of 10,000 talents. Not just one talent, 20 years to work it, 10,000. Thousand talents. Uh, estimates are all over the board. Uh, could be as much as a million dollars. Could be as much as twenty million dollars. Their money, not our money. Their dollars. To to realize how much this servant was in debt to his master, to his king, to his ruler. Millions of dollars. Now. The, the enormity of it is, in a lifetime, at best, you're, you're going to earn maybe two or three talents. In a lifetime of work. Plus, you, you have to use part of that money to live on. So, it, it, might, it might just be a talent or two that you could accumulate earning regular wages in, in your daily life. This is an astronomical debt. It's one that could not be repaid. There's no way that this slave could have repaid. Even though he says in the text, if you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay it back to you. That, that, that's just not going to happen. He understood, I, I think he, he clearly understood the enormity of the situation that he was in. Now, the second servant that gets accosted and said, you owe me money. Notice it says here, he, he, was, uh, he was in for a hundred denarii. And Pastor Joel has been telling us that a, a denarii is a normal wage for one day of work. So this man, if he was put in jail and earning uh, you know, a little bit, maybe over... Three to four to five to ten years, he could have accumulated the money, a hundred days' wages, to pay off the debt. So he, his was a, in comparison, a relatively 
minor debt as opposed to the initial servant's enormous debt, which could not be paid. So that, that kind of gives you a little bit of the, at least the culture, the background, the history. So let, let me go back and show you that there's really, again, three major players. It's not just the, the, the big master and the one servant. There, there's really, you know, three major characters in this. And, and the first the first instance is between the master and the first slave. And there in your notes, I want you to see the shocking extravagance of grace. The shocking extravagance of grace. This individual was completely crushed by the debt. There, there, again, there was no way he could pay. And this illustrates the master had mercy on him, had pity on him, forgave the debt. It illustrates the boundless grace of God in forgiving our sins. Folks, there is no way, there is no way that I could ever be good enough and earn enough goodness to pay off my debt. It can't be done. Scripture tells us if, if I am guilty in one area, I am guilty in all areas. It, it's not a point of saying, well, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just buckle down. I'll just be, I'll just be better. I, I've, I've used this little illustration, I think, once here before. And I, I don't know if it'll help you kind of to, to get a sense of this. Um, it, if this is, if this is me, this is... This is who I am. My, my hand represents me. And this book represents everything that I've ever, ever, ever done in my life. Both good and bad. The weight of everything that I've ever done is recorded in this book. So this, this essentially represents who I am. So periodically, we, we come to times in our life where we're confronted with who we are as an individual. And, and we're we're confronted with the enormity of the debt that I have. And I make statements like, this year, this year, I'm going to turn my life around. And the problem with that is, I'm still carrying everything that has ever happened in my, it's still who I am. So, you know, I, I try to be good and I work toward goodness and I, I strive for that in my life, but it, it's still just who I am. So I'm confronted again maybe a year or two later and maybe a new year and maybe a resolution. I say, okay, this year I'm going to turn my life over. Yes. But it's still the same stuff that's there. And Isaiah said that my sin has separated me from God. My sin is what has turned God's back on me. But God, in His gracious, demonstrated His love for us. And while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. 
And the only way the debt is going to be paid back is for Jesus Christ to pay the debt for me. And the songs we sang today of the, the cross and forgiveness and, and running toward the light is the only solution. And this king recognized that there was no way for the servant to pay back the debt, but mercy and forgiveness and grace was the only option that the servant had. And he graciously forgave him. The extravagance of grace. So the servant gets up from falling prostrate on the ground before his master. And he gets up and he goes out and he sees a guy who owes him for a cup of coffee. And he walks over and he begins to choke the man. And apparently yell at the man. Give me what you owe me. And the man falls down on the ground and assumes the same position that this other servant did in front of his master. And begs for mercy and grace. Second point in your outline shows the appalling disrespect of grace. How when the one servant had been so extravagantly forgiven, now this same servant disrespects the grace that he was given. We can look at it and think how absurd it is for one forgiven so much to not be able to, get, to forgive so little in someone else. Thus, we're right back to Peter's question. How many times should I forgive? And Peter's question of the 470 is the master forgiving the servant of the huge amount of debt that is there. The absurdity, the extravagance of 490 times as opposed to the littleness of just seven times, Lord? Is seven enough? Can, can then I get mad and choke him and, and, and kick him while he's down and demand that he repay me? And we move on then. Obviously, the servants that are around him see how this man has acted. And they go and report back to the master. And the master calls him in. And the third point in your outline there. The frightful fate awaiting the ungracious. This individual, in my opinion, demonstrated absolutely no understanding of the implication of forgiveness shown him. Huge, extravagant grace. And this man had absolutely no understanding of what the implications in his own life were. I believe the only sure proof of having received forgiveness in your life is a changed heart and a transformed life. If you've received forgiveness, the only sure proof 
is that you will exhibit forgiveness to those around you. Now, I, I've, already, I've already fessed up in the beginning. There's times where this is beyond hard for me. Why? Because it's about me. <laughs> it, it, isn't it all about me? I mean, isn't that what life's about? It's all about me. And I forget to understand the implications that it really should be all about God and His forgiveness that He has shown me. And, the, and I know they hurt, but the minor word that is said, the attitude, the roll of the eyes, the disrespect that your kids sometimes... I mean, it's all about me. And if they really loved me, they wouldn't act that way to me. Therefore, I get to choose. I demand you pay me back. And I forget this idea of God's extravagant grace. Question there under number three. Can a true follower of Christ act as this individual did? I, can we approach life and say, sure, I've been forgiven. No, I won't forgive you. Sure, I've been forgiven. No, I won't forgive you. Sure, I've been... Jesus has forgiven me, but I won't forgive you. And that's the question that's being raised in this, again, in this story, is the idea of unqualified removal of all that we have done to and toward our God. It's the removal of, all of that in my life, but I hold that same thing against other people. That's the question that we need to ask today. See, I, again, I, I, I've said this, hurt is real, folks. It's, the, the, world, the world looks at this parable, and they would, they would laugh at this parable. Because the world has no concept of the extravagant grace of God in their life. See, they ask the question, well, if God's a loving God, how could he do that, and how could he do that, and can't be a loving God because he does that and does that, and, you know, there's this and this and this and this in the world, so it can't be a, a loving. They, they have no concept of what God has done to provide forgiveness and eternal life for those who have faith in him. So that they, they reject this idea, and they're, they're not going to forgive. Why? Because they don't want to get hurt again. See, when I forgive, I immediately open myself up to get hurt again by the individual. As long as I don't forgive, I can hold grudges and stand off and talk bad and gossip, and I can do all that I want, because then it prevents me from opening myself back up again and saying, I forgive you hurt me again. And we don't want that. That's why we don't extend grace to people. 
Because we don't want to be hurt again. Okay, maybe seven times, but there comes a point where I'm going to lower the boom and I'm not going to extend it anymore. I, I, I looked at, again, I, I looked at this and this, this little phrase is my aha moment in this text. It's not in your notes. This is a, a little lanyard that came kind of later after I made the sermon insert. I think the key to forgiveness, big deal. I think the key to forgiveness is stop focusing on what others have done to me and to start focusing on what Jesus has done for me. And I think that's a perspective shift that we as Christ followers are going to have to adopt instead of focusing on they hurt me, focus on what God has done for me. And it truly is a a change of perspective. Why? Because it's all about me. It's a me. Your last little fill in the blank there. Christ followers have received unmerited grace. And I believe we must extend that same grace to others. Unmerited grace. Don't deserve it. Didn't earn it. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Unmerited grace. And folks, it is so easy just to step. Um, my life group, we're going through James, and we looked at a passage in James chapter uh, 5 this week, uh, end of 4, beginning of 5, about um, don't say anything evil or slanderous about your brothers. Nothing. And it's so easy to fall into that immediately of... And again, we, we usually won't talk directly to your face in an evil or slanderous way. But we'll sure do it behind your back and tell somebody else what you did for me, to me, against me. It is so easy to fall into that. As opposed to changing our perspective from what you did to me to what God has done for me. I'm going to ask um, the ushers, if you would, um, hopefully Dan, wherever you're at with uh, post-it notes, uh, just to come forward, pass down. Dan's moving to the back, give you all some uh, little... I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to take a post-it note. So, uh, Ushers are going to come and just pass a, pass a little pack of notes down. Just tear one off and put it on your Bible, put it on the notes. Put, just put it someplace, and we're going to do something with it in a second. So uh, anybody that wants to kind of help, we're just passing them out for a second. So just take one, pass it down the aisle.
So maybe in, uh, in this message today, somebody or somebody's name came to your mind. You haven't extended forgiveness to them. You, you, haven't, you haven't choked them and thrown them to the ground. At least I hope you haven't. But, uh, but you, not, not, not going to forgive. Not going to do it. And here, here's my challenge to you all. I want you to take that little post-it note and write that person's name. Write their initials, write it backwards, write it in hieroglyphics because hopefully they're not sitting next to you. But if they are, you probably don't want to have that, you know, next to you. But uh, um, if, you've, uh, if you've got, and share pens, okay? So I didn't have pens handed out, but uh, if uh, somebody has a pen next to you, just uh, pass it down and share it. So again, we, we do this uh, in my family all the time. This is mandatory fun time. So uh, this is mandatory fun time. So again, get, get in. if you're one of the saints in the room that doesn't have anybody to forgive, then just sit there and praise God for his graciousness in your life. Um, but uh, may, again, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an adult child, uh, maybe it's a neighbor, uh, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it was your best friend 10 years ago and you and them are sideways now, and you haven't talked in 10 years. Because something happened, and they never came to you. They never apologized for what they did. And you've kind of moved on. But maybe this message has just said, maybe there's some unfinished business in your life. An individual, a person. If you, if you need more post-it notes, we have them. So, uh, you know, there, there, there could be that issue too. Maybe, you know, may, maybe you need to. But again, I'm, I'm asking you to be a little proactive this morning. To think, to ponder, to consider. And again, it could be somebody from your childhood. You may not have any way to be able to contact them, but... God has just laid that person on your heart and you just need to write their name down. And here's what we're going to do this morning. You, you all obviously see this large cross sitting up here, leaned up against the uh, stage. And I, I'm going to ask during our time of commitment Praise team, you all can go ahead and come on up. During our time of commitment, if you'll be bold enough to say, I'm going to extend grace and forgiveness to this individual. To get up out of your seat and to come up and just stick your post-it note on the cross. Because this, this, is, this is the basis for what, for what we do. It's the cross, it's the grace it's the demonstration that God showed us in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And if I'll take my focus off of what the individual did to me 
and change my focus on what God has done for me, I can begin this process of forgiveness in my life. Again, it could be from somebody from 20, 30, 40 years ago that you're going to have a hard time meeting with. It could be somebody that you can pick up the phone this afternoon and call and say, I I just want to let you know that I know you and I have been sideways for a long time, and and I'm, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And it may be they did something to you but you've been harboring bitterness and anger and resentment for them, and you need to extend that same grace that God has extended you. And again, I'm, I know this is a little different. We don't, we don't often do this in Baptist churches where you actually have to get up and everybody come and respond if that's what God has asked you to do. But I, I, I hope it's a ceiling of a commitment that you've made this morning to move beyond this idea of saying I'm demanding from them what they owe me but I still accept God's grace that he gives me there there is there's just a separation of those ideas unmerited grace that I need to extend to others so in just a moment, the praise team's going to sing. I, I'm going to be down here if you want to come, and I, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. I know we've got several elders in the room that uh, others are available to pray. Your life group leaders in the room, they'd love to pray with you if that's something that you want. But I, I'm, I'm asking you to be bold today and just to come up and put your post-it note on the cross. Father, we acknowledge your unmerited, extravagant grace in our life. Oh, Father, how you love me. And oh, how you've forgiven me. And Father, right now, I just ask that you would strengthen, encourage, challenge, convict that we need to be the ones extending that same grace to those that hurt us, who offend us, who have said things against us, who have done things against us. Father, I pray today that our perspective would be off of them and on you. Father, help us to be kingdom Christ followers who not only enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, but we live out the kingdom in our life. We show grace and mercy and forgiveness to those around us. Father, I pray that you'd change hearts this morning. Father, that you'd build new relationships this morning. That you'd repair old ones that have been damaged and broken. Father, we do this to glorify you. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. You all can just stay seated.